Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 73, Happy New Year, where we'll be taking you back to different New Year's over the past 25 years in Walt Disney World history. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me as always for this recording, Mr. J.T. Couser. How you doing tonight, J.T.? I'm great. Just uh, we shoveled out of the snow here and oh. ready to relive New Year's. I, I love yeah. New Year's at Disney World. It's so fun, and I'm excited because I don't know anything about it. There we go. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna get schooled. And you know, JT, I was thinking I could uh, throw you off a little bit now and then too because uh, we always record in the evening. So the day that we actually record in the day, and it's just sitting in with me this you know this fine day. Uh, you know, not going to, not going to be, uh, easy for you to take, right? No, it'll be confusing. <laughs> exactly. I just, I just listen for my name and then I know it's time to talk. I don't hear anything else you say. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he can say coming in from the crap hole of Ohio, JT, and then it's all good. Uh, well, speaking of coming in from locations, uh, coming in from someplace close to the cigar city is Mr. How Bowers. How you doing tonight? How about how Bowers? Aloha, I'm doing fine, thank right, you. I got Cross Cigar City off the list. Oh, Cross right, it up. I got, I got two before I have city. to go to uh, the library. So, uh, <laughs> And coming in from uh, the Philadelphia area, Mr. Brian P. Miles. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Greetings, salutations. I'm not going to say Happy New Year because it's not allowed after the, what is it, the 7th of January? Uh, or is it the 10th? Okay. I forget. We I need, think uh, it's fine. We need Larry David's input on that. But. That's right. That's right. I think it's fine. Well, gentlemen, it's great to get back with everybody here. And, but I uh, do have my champagne here tonight. Oh, that's my beverage that. of choice to yeah. bring in the new year. Got the bubbly. It's great to see everybody. I know we, uh, we're on a little bit of hiatus through the holidays and uh, getting back into our swing of things. A lot of retro magic planning going on and flights are booked. We'll talk about that a little later, but we've got a lot coming up in, in April and a lot to do between now and then. But that is not why we're here. We're going to talk about... New Year's at Walt Disney World, but as always, before we get to that, JT, you've got the uh, listener mailbag has come in. What do we got this month? Okay, well, first off, I'd like to throw a little ephemera your way, and this will be in the show notes. Oh, oh, oh uh, wow. Right? Scott Grabowski, he sent us some uh, 1998 uh, Key to the World pictures of his uh, from the Disney one, and these are the ones that... This was Animal Kingdom, so it had the little uh, fancy sketches in the background of the four icons. We have the Earful Tower, uh, Spaceship Earth, uh, Tree of Life, and that. And then it's got Mickey on there. Yeah, very fun. Not for charging, uh, but these were always the staple of a Disney trip in the 90s and even before that. So, uh, Scott, we appreciate that. We'll put it in the archives of our uh, ephemera pictures, and I'll also put that in the show notes for everybody. Scott's parents didn't want him out there running up their account. 
I yeah. know. Mine, mine said all the Not same Not for things. charging, yeah. He was there from December 23rd till December 29th, so he got out before New Year's in 98. Well, this episode will still be of interest to him. That's right. Okay, next one here. This is from Richard. Richard says, uh, Dear Retro Team, he's two-thirds of the way listening to the current episode, uh, and he's kicking ourselves himself for not writing us uh, after the 50th episode. He actually grew up in California near Disneyland. He watched the opening of Disney World as an 11-year-old, and he wanted to extend vacations there since then. He actually was a Disney employee, and uh, I thought this was interesting, speaking of New Year's. At Y2K, I don't know if you all, this is one of those New Year's, though. I specifically remember where I was on New Year's because everybody was freaking out on Y2K. Uh, you know, the bunkers and the water and the whatever. Uh, he was actually on call in California uh, on his pager uh, because in case the system went down at 9 p.m. their time, which would have been midnight uh, East Coast time. Uh then he says in 2001, they transferred two years of email from the West Coast servers to the servers behind Tomorrowland in Florida. He says once that transferred, uh, he had two hours of downtime, so he actually walked over to the Carousel of Progress, which he loved at Disneyland, and that was his uh, first time seeing it in Florida. I don't, I don't know if anybody can say they've done that, Richard, is for the riding the Carousel of Progress. And then finally, he wanted to touch base on the uh, what we talked about with uh, guest service and uh, somebody said delighting the clients. He says that's a perfect way to describe the ethic he was taught as a, a Disney employee. And uh, he says it uh, really worked out well for him in, in his post-Disney life since then. And finally, Richard, uh, he just ran... Um, oh, he says February. Maybe he's doing a different marathon than I'm thinking. He's doing the half, so he could be doing the princess next month. But either way, he's uh, going to do it in a Roy's Cabin t-shirt. Oh, right. oh, well, we're Team Roy's Cabin. Yes. There we are. There we so are. Uh, thanks, Richard. Appreciate that. And I love the uh, the Y2K Disney end of things. I never, never heard of that. But I'm sure they had a lot of Y2K compliant components installed before then. <laughs> JT, all of, all of which were unnecessary. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, JT, that was that was probably the first Roy's Cabin reference in a long time too. That used to be a regular stay, but uh, I know. And, and for a yeah. second there, I thought we'd really fallen off, like we just weren't uh, yeah. doing what we used to do. But look at us, we're right back on. We're top. right back in it. Before you know, there's going to be something like a chest of drawers here. Just <laughs> everything that's old is new again. That's uh-huh. right. All right, next up, John Myers. And this is a, uh, we talked about the, the concept of just going to the parks and not following your, your Genie Plus, even though Howe has some of the best Genie Plus recommendations. Uh, you know, just, just enjoying yourself, looking at around, around at things, uh, you know, taking in the shows, maybe a snack, sit on a bench. And John did just that recently, uh, but he wasn't at Disney. He did this at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. He says his wife and uh, him took their 18-month-old to Bush Gardens. They looked at Christmas lights. They meandered around. And then he says, uh, when we got home Sunday, we immediately began our plans to recreate the same experience at Disney World. So thank you for that recommendation. And as you guys know, I think those are some of the better times uh, at the park when you're just kind of taking it back a notch and slowing it down. All right, next up, this one is from Remington Scott, not to be confused with uh, Remington Rem- Steel. Remington Steel, yeah. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. 
I found your site while researching the pictorial souvenir books. I know the covers were used for a certain amount of time. Was there an update for each year, or was it the same book for a certain amount of years? Uh, if each one is truly different, how do I tell which year is which? And how uh, you you were in communication here with Remington? Do you want to throw in your your two cents that you you told him? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, if you look at the old pictorial souvenir books, and for those of you that don't know, what we're talking about are those rectangular shaped books that they used to sell. They're soft covered. They generally have like about 64 pages in it, I think. Um, And they're great for looking back at what the parks looked like back in the old days. You know, it started mostly just as the Magic Kingdom with a couple of pages for the resorts. And as the years went on, they would kind of add on to them. Uh, And that format, they kept doing well into the 90s and perhaps into the 2000s. Um, But as, as uh, as was written to us, a lot of the early versions especially were used the same covers, but um, it's one of the few pieces of merchandise that they made that actually had a real copyright date on it. So if you open up the cover of those 1970s ones, usually on the first page over in the corner, it'll say, um, it'll say the copyright date. But what's interesting is for some reason, Disney always wrote their copyrights uh, during that time period in Roman numerals, I guess. So that way you wouldn't look at it and realize maybe it was an old one in case an old one got put, was on the shelf. You wouldn't go, oh, this one's from 1973. We don't want to buy this. Um, but they did seem to update it usually on a yearly basis. And there's even some other control numbers uh, on some other ones as well. Um, they don't change radically over the course of time, but you will see a big change. Like when pirates get inter- pirates gets introduced, it's like then the Adventureland page changes, and when Space Mountain, you know, is built and the Carousel Progress, it's like those attractions show up uh, in the pages. Exactly. So, and ha- um, some subtle differences, especially in in the early yep. years, as not a lot changed uh, initially. How we but. actually have an article on our website too, so we'll link it in the show notes. And we discussed them back all the way back on episode seven, if you can believe. Yeah, oh, fantastic. so there was uh, there's two early preview editions, and then how what you're talking about the early years, 1971 to 76, used the same cover. And I I initially years ago I was trying to collect them all, so to speak, and you know see what the differences are. Uh, and then they used that one with a kind of a globe look on it, 77 to 82, um, and yeah. in 83 there was Epcot had its own book. In 83, uh, you've got two parks into one book, and then another. Uh, cover was used from 1984 all the way to 1988 um and then they started getting into the the the, Earful, the you know the Earful tower on the cover and stuff in 1989 and at some point i think it was around the time that animal kingdom came into play uh they started experimenting with square books rather than the uh mm. than the rectangular ones but yeah they all did follow that format so uh check out the little thing uh little uh article we've got written and uh talks a little bit about some of the changes as well that have mentioned yeah, and I've got a 90s one with the characters on it rather than any of the photos. But, uh, yeah, it was, they're, they're, like I said, they're great great little books. It's always nice to grab one and flip through yeah. and either see stuff that you didn't weren't around to enjoy or uh, reminisce on the things that you did and experience. And they're probably some of the first, you know, gateway introductions to Walt Disney World history because you go to a flea market or your great aunt uh, Bertha says, oh, look, here's this old stuff. And they've got one of them. And you sit there and you're you're jaw drops and you look at these old photos and that's kind of how it was for me right yeah and you know the classic story is the the reason those exist was because of disneyland and walt wanted you know they didn't like to spend money on advertising back then 
Um, but it was something that they could sell at Disneyland and people could take home and put on their coffee table. And then other people would come over yeah. to your house and go like, what's this at Disneyland? And I remember there was a story about the pricing. I, I think it cost 10 cents and it actually cost them 10 cents to make. And they, uh, at first they were like trying to tell Walt like, Oh, you should charge 15 cents or 20 cents for this and make some money on it. And he was like, no, I want to sell it at cost. So that way we sell as many of them as possible and we get, you know, these out to as many people and coffee tables as possible. So it drives more people here. Absolutely. So. And if you think the history of the Walt Disney World pictorial souvenirs are muddied and confusing, don't even dive into the, <laughs> into Disneyland because it <laughs> you've got another 15, 20 years. On well, top. and if you I mean, the the. The consumerism of the 50s, mid-50s, when Disneyland opened into the 60s and early 70s, uh, people didn't tend to get rid of things that they paid for. Yeah. Like, you're, 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 they weren't as, it wasn't a, a conspic- as much conspicuous consumption as there would be in later decades and, and more modernly. You know, now we get things and we get it and it's gone. You know, you buy something and then, oh, Peloton's out, so we're putting this out in the Goodwill and getting a different exercise bike. So people just didn't do that back then. It's why you would go to your grandmother's house and she'd have, like, stuff from 1940 there that she was serving you dinner from. Because <laughs> So you you would pay 15 or 10 or 15 cents for this Spectora souvenir. And believe me, when you were cleaning out their house when they died in the 1980s or 90s, that book was still there. All right. Well, thank you, Remington. Uh, and like Todd said, uh, there's I'll link the uh, pictorial souvenir portion of our site in the show notes here. Finally, the one you've all been waiting for. Ryan wrote in. He says, I've been listening to and loving the show for years, even as a resident of Orlando and an annual pass holder for almost a decade. I still learn new things with each episode. Keep up the awesome work. He's never bothered to write in till now, but he felt... He really had to contribute. And how this one's for you. He says he's a Central Florida traffic management worker. And he'd like to address Champions Gate with you. Uh, He says that uh, it's being converted into a diverging diamond-style intersection. And uh, he sent us a video and how this is going to fix everything. And it's going to make everything way better. And he also says on I-4, they're getting some new auxiliary lanes and, and, and all sorts of stuff. It's all under construction now. He sent now. us maps and everything. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. the full thing. I'm really excited because uh, it'll be finished in late 2023. So we've we've got a, a little ways to wait, uh, how, so it won't be ready in time for Retro Magic. But maybe he'll, you know, let us have the, have the first run on the diverging diamond <laughs> in, in Chevy Cavalier from the you know the the giveaway or something like that. That'd be great. Well, I am I am very much looking forward to that. And and I will say I we had to take an impromptu trip to Orlando to get some furniture from IKEA a couple of weeks ago, and somehow magically there was actually no slowdown at Champions Gate. So maybe it's working already. I don't know. So it was the first time in I think four years that we were able to get through there, there without. There a, is that magical week. After everybody leaves from the Christmas New Year time, where suddenly the parks seem to go back to like early 1980s winter crowds for it's a very, very short period of time. But it's like all kids go back to school, all people are going back to work. And so there's like it's like a secret slow time. It doesn't last that long. Because uh, they start Festival of the Arts and things now, and all of a sudden the parks start to fill up again. But, you know, I just remember seeing all those posts from 
like the second yeah. week of December or, or January. Like, there's nobody here. I was going to say, it was the weekend of the marathon, but after the marathon was okay. over. So if people were trying to get in or out, they would they were already there gone. Go. So, yeah. Um, JT, have you what, put what your furniture he... together yet? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Why I, it is why together. I hate Ikea, because you have to put the furniture together. <laughs> JT, what did he call the type of intersection it's being converted to? A diverging diamond style. Ah, it is the diverging. I'm going to put my civil engineer hat on here for a moment. Gentlemen, I shared that with you a you few did. weeks ago. You did. I remember ago. that. And it yes. is a very odd Because you go to the other side of the road. You go to the other side of the road. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is... I mean, I'm sure there's been studies, but most people don't understand that if you're crossing to the left... Yeah, it's it, look up diverging diamond. It's it's quite interesting. It's efficient, but uh, I I think you see and experience it sometimes on I ninety five when all of a sudden they're if you're you've you've done the drive, Todd. I know. Oh yeah. So when you're coming from metropolitan to New York, Philadelphia, etc., Delaware, and then Washington D.C., so there are points where there's three ninety five and four ninety fives and six ninety fives, which are what are they like workarounds? They're like highways that take you off the express yeah. lane uh, versus uh, the... essentially, yeah, yeah. And uh, and there are diverging diamond aspects to some of those places where the road splits. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see it once it's done. But just you know, I feel like we're responsible for this. Like we we brought <laughs> Champions Gate to uh, Florida's attention, and you know Ryan just made sure they they snapped to it. Hey, we're on it exactly. And, and I will say, Ryan, the weekend of April twenty second, all everything's going to be red on that monitoring system for retro magic. People getting saying. retro yeah. magic, yes. <laughs> just be careful. Diverging diamond or not, it's going to be a mess. That's yeah, that's right. But we and, we appreciate all the info, Ryan. That's great. Brian, you you know you lived in the Philadelphia here. There was a very famous section of, of roadway too that was above uh, that was never completed. I think it was part of two ninety five into Trenton, and, and it was I remember passing it in the in the eighties and nineties. It was just literally hanging in the middle of nowhere and nowhere because they never finished it. They finally did uh, eventually do it. Yes, but yes, I forget exactly where, but it might have been part. Uh, now of I'm. I, I mean, I do know what you're talking about. You know, I think it's two ninety five ninety five interchange. Correct. Somewhere around Levittown. Yeah. So it was pretty pretty funny. So yeah. Well, that's, that's going to do it for the mailbag. Thank you, Ryan. We appreciate all that. Thank you, everybody else, for the messages, the notes, the questions. Uh, podcast at RetroWDW.com is where you can reach us via email, social media, instant message, any of that stuff. You can send us those, too. We read them all. We try to get as many as we can on the show. Um, but, you know, it's uh, we get a lot. So thank you, though, for, for reaching out. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you on the next mailbag soon. Thanks, JT. All right. Well, we mentioned at the top of the show, this is all about New Year's at Walt Disney World. And Brian has been doing research and he's going to bring us his best uh, Brian Miles rocking New Year's Eve at, at Walt <laughs> Disney World. Right, Brian? <laughs> you have your tux on, the parties going on behind you, the confetti cannons at Pleasure Island are loaded and we're ready to, to it'll to it'll be back. like CNN's New Year's Eve, where each hour we go on, we get more inebriated. <laughs> That's right. And uh, one of us just says something outlandish. That's it. We're done. Puts us off yes. the air. But that's not what happens at Walt Disney World, right? No, nobody ever gets inebriated. No. So uh, let's start off with before we get off with New Year's in Walt Disney World. Uh, let's talk a little bit about New Year's in general. And uh, I am lifting this. I'm giving credit where credit is due to uh, all things considered. 
Uh, They just did a report a few weeks ago on this, which I found interesting, that the National Countdown to Midnight that we are all familiar with is not a thing that we always did. And the reason, at least their reasoning, is that countdowns used to have at one time a nefarious connotation uh, with things like atomic bomb tests and uh, (laughs) the hourglass and the Wizard of Oz, that countdowns were kind of like a negative thing. And their theory posited in this little report was that that relationship to countdowns changed with things like the Apollo space program launches being televised and Casey Kasem's weekly top 40 countdown on the radio that made countdowns and getting to number one and time running out a good thing and not a bad thing. It was kind of a good thing happened. Uh, That's not to say that there weren't New Year's Eve parties and countdowns in your grandparents' basement or at the local Moose or Knights of Columbus Lodge. Uh, There were. Uh, before before the 1970s, but the familiar, as Todd just referenced, Dick Clark's New York or New Year's Rock and Eve broadcast from Times Square, it was on for many years before they started their Times Square countdown. They did not start the countdown to midnight until 1979. That collective 10, 9, 8. Before that, he would just be talking, and they would be watching the ball. And then once the ball would hit the bottom in 1975, would let, he'd say, hey, well, it's 1975, everybody. It was Yeah, it was more like a sportscaster than, uh, you know. Or watching so, the ball come down. It's got about three feet. It's acceleration this year right. is uh, much greater than right. last year. <laughs> well, more it would be, uh, and there are, I mean, you can go back and look at clips. They're on YouTube, but more of it, well, it's been a hell of a 1974. Our president resigned, and this happened, and our last moon uh, launch, and this and that. Uh, and we're now in 1975. Let's see what she brings. Like it was more of a kind of a retrospective as the ball would drop. Yeah. Instead of you everybody know, counting down. Yeah, I bet they couldn't accurately time that back then. That could be as well, Howard. You know, we watched a uh, uh, you know all the years over the years the countdown, the ball dropping, and yeah. I was surprised if you watch them. I mean, it was like 40 of them in a row. Some years were real smooth and well-timed. Other years, I mean, it fell yep. like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And then for a while there, I didn't know this. I know this isn't the New York podcast. It was an apple that lowered down. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So I, 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 I had, it's funny, in my I didn't put it in my notes, but it's 1904 or 1908, one of those two years stands out as the year that it started in Times Square, the tradition of yeah. lowering uh, something. Uh, but it officially being like a, Times Square celebration didn't happen for decades, like where it became like an officially organized thing. And then, of course, once Dick Clark puts it on television, it it became a bigger thing, Um, you know. But before that, I mean, I have pictures I I share it every couple of years on Twitter of my grandparents with their little, you know, Happy New Year hat and noisemakers. I, in fact, I have my grandparents' vintage noisemakers. And so, so, I mean, New Year's parties were, they were yeah. a thing. Yeah. Uh, but just that collective nationwide. Ca- and of course, we were in four different time zones then. I mean, we were still in four different time zones across the, across the country. Um, uh, but they weren't as good with network television uh, being able <laughs> to alter programming from place to place. So, yeah. You know, that, that, that a lot of that probably played in it. But all of that, we're having this discussion because what happened at Walt Disney World on that first New Year's Eve, just a few months after they opened the parks, 
as they closed the books on 1971 and rung in 1972. Uh, there was a fascinating conversation on a Facebook page of former cast members, uh, started by a guy named Bill Jennings, who shared a photo that he took of that first midnight uh, at uh, the castle on New Year's Eve 1971, uh, which we're going to share in the article. I, I gave it to the guys who share in this article. Uh, and it started a cascade of comments that I want to share. Uh, first, starting with Bill's, where he said he would not have been a cast member for another year after the picture, but they had friends in town and they went to the Magic Kingdom on New Year's Eve. Here comes a consistent theme. It was not crowded. They walked onto most things with no waiting and cast members told them to be in front of the castle at midnight. And at midnight, Mickey Mouse appeared on the little balcony uh, underneath the clock on the front of the castle on at the looking down main street. So Mickey came out onto the balcony, uh, and you know, fireworks. Now I have a little fireworks sidebar here, which actually turned into a bigger fireworks side sidebar than I wanted, but fireworks began at Disneyland in 1958. Walt Disney, who was in no way interested in guest spending money on food, merchandise and rides in his park. As you know, he was just a benevolent, charitable man doing it just for the smiles on kids faces <laughs> that walt disney was concerned because people were leaving his park before dark which prevented them from spending money on food merchandise and rides which as you will recall he had absolutely no interest in so not being at all concerned with such things walt suggested to keep people in the park until dark they should have fireworks at Disneyland. Uh, so you enter fantasy in the sky. Uh, now, I'll be pulling tonight from episodes of uh, the Disney News and uh, the Eyes and Ears cast newsletters, which were a great resource for trying to figure out some of what was going on early on. But they did an article in 1971 on fireworks in the parks. And I want to read you a... Actually, it's a rather lengthy section, but it is quite interesting. So Disneyland's Fantasy in the Sky fireworks, they have been staged 80 times each summer since 1958. This is written in 1971 or two, I think, 72, I think it was, uh, are all of the shell variety. And they tell you why shells were chosen. But the Fantasy in the Sky of 1958 was a far cry from the Fantasy of the Sky that was staged by 1971 in Walt Disney World. When the program was introduced, it was decided that 150 shells would be mortarized into the air over a period of 15 minutes, or roughly 10 fireworks, 10 shells per minute. The results, now if you've ever seen them, like 10 a minute would be kind of like, it's like your neighbor setting them off. Yeah, as I say, somebody's running from the cigar, watches it go off, lights the next one with the cigar. <laughs> so the results were spectacular. They lo Walt loved seeing the, the fireworks set behind the castle. But as far as he was concerned, not spectacular enough. So what they did was the firing time was shortened to 10 minutes and then nine minutes and then eight minutes and so on until today when Fantasy in the Sky's 150 shells are fired in a period of only four minutes or one shell every two seconds. So a 15-minute show, the same 15-minute show in 1958 was being done in 1971, except that it was only four minutes long <laughs> using the same number of fireworks. In addition, progress. To the rate, 
Yes, it is. That's is that inf- is that inflation for you too? People I, would probably say it's shorter because of inflation, <clears throat> but it was shorter because of attention span. And it and absolutely excitement. could be. Uh, the method of firing the shells changed. In 1958, it was all done by hand, like literally guys running around lighting these shells off with a with like with a lighter, uh, one by one by one by one by one. And you can imagine by the time it got to, you know, lighting off 150 of them in four minutes. That really wasn't going to do. So over time, uh, they're fired electronically, enabling the man in charge of firing the shells to stand a considerable distance from the mortar area. I'm sure the man was happy. And the new system also makes it possible for the shells to be fired exactly in time with the announcer's voice in the park. In fact, they have a picture here of uh, Disneyland's electrical firing system, and the guy's got a pair of headphones on where he's listening to the music and the and the narration so that he can join it. Uh, of the shells, here's something I did learn today. Of the shells used in Fantasy in the Sky, most are the English and Japanese variety, and they are easy to tell apart. Do either of you know what any of you know what the differences between uh, Japanese and English ones are? So when English shells are explode, their stars, which are noted for their brilliant colors, look as if they had been poured from a pitcher. Japanese shells, on the other hand, explode their stars into the sky in giant symmetrical patterns. So the English ones are the ones that look like like your kids spit up, you know, and the Japanese ones are the ones that burst. And 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 I did not know that. So I, that was something that I learned today. The reason we're talking about fantasy in the sky is because that is the same fireworks program that they brought to Walt Disney World. So, uh. They brought it to Walt Disney World and it, I mean, it lived on there. It still lives on there at times, right? I mean, they still do it on New Year's Eve today, which we'll talk about. Uh, but Fantasy in the Sky was the original uh, on, in Disneyland. And over years, they tweaked it and it's changed and music patterns have changed and things. But the core of the show has been the same and it stayed in Walt Disney World. I actually didn't note when they actually stopped running it in like summers and night times, but. Uh, I was, was it when, when they did wishes, I think wishes is what replaced it. Wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. It, that <laughs> was there yeah. for forever so, un, until they shifted to the castle shows. Yeah. Right. It was fantasy. In yeah, the sky. So it was fantasy in the sky. Uh, so anyway, a couple of the other folks on, uh, Bill Jennings post talked about being there that first night in 1971, that first new year's Eve, Pat DeVries Howe said he was working in Adventureland, not very crowded. Kenny Stewart spent that New Year's Eve running the dreaded Broiler Master at the original Tomorrowland Terrace and then cleaning it until about 3 a.m. And Tony Paul Edward Schrecker says, my first day of work, first time I worked at Disney. This is really interesting. As a lodging host at the Contemporary Hotel was New Year's Eve of 1971. And I remember it so well, I worked a 1 to 9.30 shift. And when I got off, I went out to the Magic Kingdom and walked around, mouth agape, eyes in the air, sort of being in Wonderland. I met a family and invited them back to the fourth floor at the Contemporary and treated to the, some treated them to some apple pie and such, the famed fourth floor of the Contemporary. Then drove them to the main parking lot in my 69 Camaro convertible. We were jammed in there. It was a Goodwin family from Kissimmee. So if anyone from that family sees this post, give me a yell, yeehaw to all. So I don't know if any of the good ones are listeners because nobody ever replied to that post saying that they were from that apple pie family of New Year's Eve 1971. 
But that is an interesting story. <laughs> the formal entertainment uh, of that of that New Year's Eve 1971, and we're going to talk a lot about the entertainers uh, that entertained the guests in Walt Disney World on these various New Year's Eves. But at the Contemporary in 1971, the flagship resort, uh, singer Patti Page, who I remember growing up as a country singer because she did a lot of country albums in the 70s. But she was really a, a, what they called a girl singer back in the 40s and 50s. And her most famous hit that our people might recognize is How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? Oh, yeah. That was that was one that of Patti Page's hit. big songs and still gets used a lot of times in like novelty commercials. And Dixie band leader and singer Bob Crosby. And this is not the last you'll hear of Bob Crosby, but he was a band, a Dixieland band leader uh, from the 40s straight on up through you'll hear at the end of the program. Uh, so that was the first New Year's Eve, 1971. And, you know, obviously there were other things. There might have been people that are listening that were there and have other memories of it. But uh, the crux of it was that they, you know, it was very not crowded. You know, it was a new park and. Maybe traveling at the holiday season wasn't as, in fact, it was probably abnormal back then unless you were traveling home. Going on vacation was not a normal thing back then. So very interesting. Uh, 1972, man, they they stepped it up. They brought uh, Jimmy Rogers. And Jimmy Rogers had a 1957 hit Honeycomb. And I actually have... The write-up on Jimmy Rogers. Uh, if anyone, that song was featured in the movie The Iron Giant, which is probably how <laughs> modern audience would have heard oh, that. Oh, there you go. The, for the first time. Uh, so 1972, New Year's Eve bash, what a bash. And I'm reading now from Eyes and Ears. Magic Kingdom open until 2. By the way, that was the normal If you as, as we track these. Generally, the park was either open from nine to two or eight to two. It'd be either open eight in the morning until two in the morning or nine in the morning until two in the morning. Uh, there'll be no mistaking it's 1973 when precisely at the stroke of midnight, the sky over the vacation kingdom comes aglow with a special fantasy in the sky fireworks presentation to welcome in the new year. It's worth noting that what made these different than the fireworks that they would run in the summer or whatever. So they would add special tags. They still do that today. There's holiday tags or new year's tags. Um, Fourth of July. A lot of times there's a tag um, that they add an additional couple of minutes of fireworks and music and things. Uh, so that's uh, why it was a special fantasy in the sky versus the ones that they would run in the summer. They didn't do fireworks every night back then either. It's normally summer season. And then on holidays and special events. Vacation Kingdom employees. People don't families, realize, Brian, how good they have it right now. Like anytime you go down there, you get treated to a spectacle. You know what I we mean? Are, we are an instant gratification society. Absolutely. Now, I you mean, got to have it. And I want to see it on the night that I'm there. I don't want to have to wait or time my You vacation. can watch any movie, listen to any song, the total breadth and depth of knowledge of world history is available at your fingertips on your smartphone or your computer. Back then you had to get the encyclopedia Britannica and wait until all 26 volumes showed up. That's right. And just like, you know, you didn't know everything until like two and a half years later when the disease showed up. 
finally you knew nothing you could about understand zebras. zebras and zebras. You knew and nothing about zebras or Zimbabwe <laughs> until that came. So uh, they are invited, the Vacation Kingdom employees and families, to the biggest New Year's Eve party in Florida next Sunday night when anything is liable to happen before and after that bewitching hour. God, I love the copywriters back then. With hours extended until 2 a.m., all attractions, food facilities, and merchandising shops will be open and in full operation. All right. Modern comment here. How many times have you been at a late night Magic Kingdom event now where like Casey's is the only place open to get a food a yeah. food or drink after like 11 or 10? Like the whole park's open and there's one spot and a couple of popcorn carts. So there the entire park was kept open for what we know was a fairly sparse crowd. Meanwhile, in the hotels, there's sure to be plenty of activity. Jimmy Rogers hosts a special New Orleans party in the ballroom of the Americas, complete with dinner, decorations, noisemakers, and champagne. The tab? Take a guess, guys. What's the tab for that? 372. 372? Like you get all that <laughs> and champagne? I'm going to say eight bucks. I'm I'm gonna go with four fifty. Only twenty five dollars per person. Oh, okay. which my year was under. Okay, which even includes the tip. Cocktails are extra. Okay, but you get At champagne. Po- you do get champagne. At the Polynesian Village, guests will go on a Hawaiian's Hawaiian with a South Seas show, dinner, champagne, hats, decorations, and a few surprises. Cocktails are extra, and the whole evening, including tax and tip. Is only thirty dollars a person. You get that Polynesian extra in there. They got to pay for and, the the pig and, and the and that pricing. By the way, I don't have the inflation calculator in front of me, but uh, it's about five times I think is the inflation rate from early seventies. I'm guessing that's about hundred and fifty a person, uh, which would not put it out of where modern, you know, New Year's. Yeah. That's not bad at all. That's actually yeah. yeah. That's one ninety five a person for the thirty. Yeah, and that's about right. If you go to if you go to a restaurant like a nicer restaurant on New Year's Eve these years, it's always a prefix menu, and it's somewhere between one hundred and two hundred dollars. So this was an interesting one. A special these guys loved New Orleans. A special Mardi Gras party are in progress in the Pacific Room at the Contemporary Resort. Every night through January second, except Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And New Year's Eve. Guests will enjoy live Dixieland entertainment, Mardi Gras decorations, and dancing. There's no cover charge, and drinks are only $1.50. So that is the Jimmy Rogers show. He was leading this Dixieland show. He was in residence, I guess, for the uh, the, the the run there uh, of, uh, of the holiday season. Uh Man, so things were way better back then. Only a dollar fifty for a drink. Look at that. Yeah, and and he was a uh, he like he was one of those guys that had a couple of hit songs in the like fifties, and then did like by the seventies he was on the variety show circuit, so he would be on the you know the Dinah Shore show and things like that, where he'd come on and sing Honeycomb and talk about what it was like to be a star, and they would you know do travel. He had his own variety show at some point. Uh, but Jimmy Rogers was the was their headliner in 1972. We're not going to do every year here, although I know Todd may have to jump in it a few times. He's got some stuff. But I do want to talk about 1975 because there were some big lineups there that year. And when I say big lineups, 
Here we go. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't even know how to tell you. So <laughs> what they here's the report. A variety of stars and special events will brighten New Year's Eve celebrations here at Walt Disney World. Special parties in many areas will help guests ring in the upcoming bicentennial year. Uh, uh, we know how much they love the bicentennial. The traditionally most exciting evening of the year <laughs> is spotlighted in the Magic Kingdom by a gigantic party lasting until 2 a.m. featuring hats, noisemakers, and balloons. A countdown in the forecourt of Cinderella Castle will climax with fireworks and thousands of red, white, and blue balloons soaring into the night. Now, before I go any further with the entertainment, we've got a balloon sidebar. Because in one of those online conversations, there was a conversation about the balloon release. And George McGill says, I did a crazy balloon launch. Had nets over the boat. I could not see a thing. <laughs> Clay Newbill says it was the end of 1978, beginning of 79. I did the New Year's balloon, balloon launch in 79 with some other folks. This is great, says another person. I agree with Clay about steering them, especially when we had to intentionally go off track. They're talking about the Swan Boat Lagoon, by the way. For photographers. Ah. I had fun taking them out for balloon releases at the castle. The boats operated on sensors, but often they would not work during a tour. Here's my favorite on the swan boats. The sensors did not work at all the last summer when we were the leads. Everyone had to learn how to actually drive the things. Oh, so all these balloons <laughs> were loaded on a swan boat? They would, well, they would put them on various boats and put nets over them. So, I mean, you know, there was no, like, automatic balloon release. Like, there had yeah. to be people there. So but they would release these. And we it's in the one picture from 71, by the way, that we're going to share. You see all these balloons being released. Uh, somebody else says, I did a balloon release on one New Year's Eve, driving blindly in the dark with only a Jungle Cruise guy to guide me. So <laughs> I guess you may have been in the Jungle Cruise Lagoon. Because uh, they would, like, release them around the park. Yeah. And a couple of so so the balloon releases are no more, but uh, they were not fondly remembered by the people who actually actually had to engineer them. Uh, so the entertainment here we're in 1975. We're about to kick off America's 200th anniversary. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Now that's a big band in 1975. Yeah, that's you know, a good you're one. Getting, you're getting a big that's, name. Yeah. Huge. You are getting yeah, a big 10. name there with Casey. You know he's bringing it to you. Also, Bo Donald. Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. And you would most remember them for Billy, don't be a hero. Um, so Bo Donaldson was there in the Magic Kingdom. Country singers Bob Sanders uh, and Marilyn Sellers. Bob Sanders was famous for Drop a Line from Albuquerque, which I listened to today and I did not recognize it. And Marilyn Sellers' uh, big hit was One Day at a Time, not the theme song from the TV show. And uh, I also didn't recognize that one, but it was uh, very country-esque. And were, were all these spiritual. acts in the Magic Kingdom? Yep. Wow. They, these ones were in the Magic Kingdom. They would add musical excitement to the party with continual performances during the evening. Elsewhere, guests at the, Ma at the Polynesian Village will be able to enjoy the romance of the South Seas. With traditional South Seas cuisine, a Polynesian review, champagne toast at midnight, and continental breakfast. We're going to talk about the breakfast. It was a normal thing. It was like a common thing. And I, because I remember my parents would go to New Year parties back in the day, where after the midnight 
you know, like 12.30 a.m., the host would roll out breakfast, you know, bacon and eggs and stuff. Like it was a, I what? guess because you were supposed to have eaten at like six or seven o'clock at night and then you'd been partying. And so they would, it'd be, it was a big New Year's thing to roll out some kind of a breakfast. So you're going to hear that referred to repeatedly. It's, it's, it's not really done anymore. Um, See, but, I automatically assumed it was like you stay the night, you get a free breakfast in the morning. N- no, this was like normally what would happen is like 1230, 1 o'clock in the morning because the party went till 2. They would roll out a breakfast buffet. Wow. Uh, or some kind of like, you know, in the, in, in the Polynesian's case here, it was a continental breakfast. So you probably get some Danish and orange juice. and so Maybe they had, you know, back then standards were a little different. They might have wanted you to sober up a little bit before going home. So putting out urns of coffee and uh, bacon and eggs might have Sanka. encouraged people to slow down there on the on the Andre champagne. Uh, the evening at Pioneer Hall, JT, includes family-style dining, our popular hoop-de-doo musical review, champagne toasts, dancing till dawn, and breakfast. <laughs> I don't think they actually danced till dawn. Maybe they I did. The was- bre- <laughs> I I don't know where you can dance in there because, and then on top of it, uh, that's an interesting thought though. Uh, a midnight countdown slash champagne at the hoopty doo. That's not. That's, I like this because you know what it is. It, you know where where does everybody go now for New Year's? Magic Kingdom or Epcot? That seems the two. Right. That are, I like that they branch out like resorts have and things. Like that'd be an interesting idea for like a ticketed event, like a New Year's celebration at uh, Port Orleans or something. You know. My recollection is. I'm remembering pre-pandemic here, but there there was normally some kind of a black tie offer at the Grand Floridian. And we're going to talk about the first one at the Grand Floridian in 1988. Uh, in recent years, like they're like a $500 a person ticket. Really? To, yes. And uh, my recollection is there's one at the Contemporary as well, that there, there have been packages offered. Uh, but as you're correct, most people are in the theme parks or kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. Two special events bring the Contemporary Resort to life here in 19 New Year's Eve 1975. The song stylings of Nancy Ames. Plus, comedian songstress Mimi Hines and comedian Ronnie Shell will entertain at the top of the world and the ballroom of the Americas. Oh. A gourmet dinner, dancing, fireworks, champagne, breakfast, and excitement till the early hours completes New Year's Eve at the Contemporary. And even the youngsters have their own fun planned. A supervised party for children 7 to 12 years old in the Fiesta Fun Center. At the Contemporary Resort includes games, classic Disney films, refreshments, party favors, and fantasy in the sky fireworks. Younger children are entertained at both the Polynesian and Contemporary Mouseketeer Clubhouses. Advanced reservations are required and may be made by calling Central Reservations. 1975. I think if you polled most people now, they would pick the Fiesta Fun Center event over all of them. That would yeah. be the- I, I, You know, I, about that... The, the, That's like going the to an hoop-de-doo, man. The hoop-de-doo might be your might well, be your jaw. Yeah, though. yeah. That would be mine, but man, that would just be say, all at the. We should talk about at the end of their big bicentennial year. Remember, they had, you know the America on Parade, America on Parade on two coasts. They were doing stuff in cities around the country. I mean, Disney was at the center of the bicentennial. 
Uh, so naturally, they would want to roll out 1976 and do it big. And they couldn't get any bigger than booking Starbuck the year that that group had its one and only hit. So Moonlight Feels Right was their big hit that spring and summer. And uh, by the end of the year, they weren't that busy because Disney booked them <laughs> on in a residency on the Tomorrowland Space Stage starting December 20th through January 1st. They gave them Christmas Eve off. But they, they literally had the group Starbuck there for two weeks, the entire two-week holiday period, uh, to perform Moonlight Feels Right and presumably whatever other songs they sang. because they Limited they engagement. Were two weeks only. Yeah. <laughs> but on New Year's Eve, uh, they played at 10, 11.30, and 1 a.m. So they could perform Moonlight Feels Right and a few other probably cover songs. But so what year? What year was this? 1976. So this would have been December of 76. So the song was released in December of 75, but didn't chart until April of 76. It was a big hit for the. I guess they would have been kind of on the downside. Correct. It's the big hit of summer of 76. It it Mm. climbed the charts. And so Disney, like, we got to book them. These are the hottest acts, Morty. These are the hottest acts. (laughs) (laughs) And by the end of 76, they were there to sing their one hit song. So they played it at the beginning, they played some junk in the middle, and then one more time at the end to close it out. Correct. But you know, that's that's not it. They, uh, they wait, brought the more. funk, too. Oh. Disney, Disney brought the funk. The Walter Murphy Band came in to, to perform their hit, A Fifth of Beethoven. Which, if you've ever seen Saturday Night Fever, which was oh a few gosh. years after that where it was licensed, but it was a hit record in 1976. Um, if you've ever seen Disco Stew in uh, on The Simpsons, he's also danced to a fifth of Beethoven. It's uh, Michael Iceberg and his Iceberg Machine, who was in residency all the time. in the location now occupied by Sunny Eclipse, uh, playing his bank of keyboards and and doing all that. He was performing in Tomorrowland Terrace, 7.30, 8.30, 10, 11, 15, and 12.15. These entertainers earn their money, man, let me tell you. I mean, you know, your big acts doing three three shows a night. This guy's doing five. There was dancing. Of course, Nick Russo and Gabriel's Brass. playing in fantasy fair they were there constantly class of 27 was playing in the diamond horseshoe review at 8 15 9 30 10 45 and 12 30 now imagine this new year's happens everything goes off they're doing shows at 12 30 and one o'clock in the morning to keep people in the park 
Tom Nabby would probably tell us that was to control the release of folks out of the park so that everybody didn't leave at once. Nowadays, they're just like, you know what? We'll run one monorail and just let all 90,000 people just come out and they can wait. Oh, it's like a Who concert at the end of the night exit. <laughs> <Yeah>. just... <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, the, Patri- the Patriots game just ended. We're all heading to our cars. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, I do dig that, though. It does remind me of like the Epcot because yeah, every country seems to have its own little little thing going. And, you know, this seems like that at the Magic Kingdom. You could go here for this type of music. This That's very cool. Yeah, and we're going to touch on that a little later, but absolutely, you know, it was broken up. That wasn't even it. The Sandy Valley Boys, uh, who we've talked about before, were on Pico's Bill's stage in Frontierland. The Mardi Gras Sound Company was a town square on Main Street. And there was additional entertainment in Frontierland at the Bear Band stage. The Bear Band stage. Whoa. The Bear Band Does stage. Does that mean, is that a band without any clothes on? I I know it's spelled bear, B-E-A-R. Okay. So I'm wondering how did they. I'm, I'm assuming that's the upper deck above the entrance oh, of the Country Bear Jamboree. That's what I thought. That's... I was going to I was going to ask you if that's what it was. Yeah, cuz they used to do live bands there from time. Which today the characters will come out and wave there, but right. yeah, they would. It's a yes. safe COVID distance meet and greet. So, I mean, you know, you we had to take a couple years off here cuz you have Starbuck and residency. I mean, you're going to hear like Moonlight Feels Right. You know, if you're a cast member, you could have heard it like 15 times a day performed by the actual live artist. That's like seeing. I, it, it, it does have one of the best marimba solos of <laughs> any song. 100%. <laughs> I mean, it, it is it is an earworm if there ever was one. We're going to skip a couple years, though. We're going to go full disco. 1979. We're closing out the 70s. New Year's Eve 1979, heading into 1980. There is an entire booklet published. It, the entire thing's on our site. Um, it has been for a while. Beautiful artwork, uh, custom artwork here. Celebrate New Year's Eve with style. And inside, there's an invitation for you. And it says, ring in the new year in your own part of the world. Capital W. This New Year's Eve, we invite you to enjoy one of our five fantastic celebrations at the Walt Disney World Vacation Kingdom. Sensational dining, outstanding entertainment, and joyous holiday cheer, all making one of the happiest New Year's ever. Now, at the bottom it says, and I think this was probably sent to people who had reservations over the holiday. Please act immediately. Reservations are limited. Mail the enclosed card along with full payment before December 3rd. Availability is a first-come, first-served basis. Join us this New Year's Eve and start off 1980 right. All right, boys, you're going to have to pick your party. Remember, there's five, but really there's only four, and then there's a fifth option for kids. Lake Buena Vista Club. Make this New Year's Eve a classic amidst all the exquisite beauty and charm of your own personal club. A delightful way to ring in 1980 with the extra added touches that will make this a New Year's celebration long remembered. The evening begins with hors d'oeuvres followed by elegant dining at its best, featuring sautéed filet mignon. After dinner, dance away the final hours of 1979 and toast champagne to the awakening of a new year, 1980. Coats and ties for the gentlemen, please. Cash bar, $45 per person, includes all tips and taxes. So there's your one option. 
let's kick it up a notch and go to the top of the world. I was going to say, I need, I need a shrimp platter and a pitcher of uh, margaritas. Let's go. For the starlit glamour of a Hollywood-style celebration, come to the top of the world. The elegant supper club high atop the Contemporary Resort Hotel. It's a New Year's Eve in the sky, an evening with the stars, featuring the talented Phyllis Diller. Thank you, thank you. You know, a terrible thing happened to me again last night. Nothing. <laughs> no, actually, something bad did happen. A peeping Tom called me on the phone hysterically begging me to draw my shades. <laughs> he said he was eating. <laughs> And Bobby Goldsboro. See the tree, how big it's grown, but friend, it hasn't been too long. It wasn't big. Sip unlimited complimentary cocktails. Sample a dazzling array of canopies. Dine in gourmet splendor over exquisitely prepared beef Wellington. Then dance into 1980 with the music of the Top of the World Orchestra. I'm turning into Michael Puffer. At midnight, you'll toast the new year with champagne while the world comes to light with the fantasy in the sky sky fireworks. As the magic hours move on to morning, top off your celebration with a light breakfast of coffee and pastries. Coats and ties for gentlemen, please. $75 per person includes all tip and taxes. So $75 in 1979. Wow, that's... I will guess two or two and a quarter. Two seventy-two forty-nine. Oh! That's an expensive night out. She better be worth it. All right. I mean, that's going by that and people complain about a one-day park ticket, man. That's that's (laughs) one, you know... That that one is unlimited cocktails, though, remember. Oh, yeah. We could... Go heavy there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Booking the revolving restaurant over Times Square and Christopher Cross. Now, yeah. I'm going to ask how, because he's our resident uh, you know, alcohol specialist. In, in 1979, how, unlimited cocktails, were they given quality or were they going just out of a pitcher jug? You know, here's your, here's your drink pre-made. If you recall, we have their full list of all stocked bottles in that 1981... Yeah. Uh, Food the list, the, the book that's on our site, which we'll have to link in the episode notes. Uh, so they were like standard well drinks, though, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing they probably would have used well brands at that point. Yeah. You probably couldn't have called for the high dollar stuff at, during the Unlimited. But, I mean, the, the classic contemporary, all the monorail drinks, it's like that would have all been available. So there was, you know, there was some good stuff in there, certainly. And pe- I mean, people's liquor palates weren't as developed as they are that's true as they are today you know a little yeah, the, seagrams uh, or j and b and they were fine you know right the harvey Bullbanger yeah. was like the big uh to go drink at that time the peach had, had drink. The peach schnapps hadn't hit its uh <laughs> the fuzzy was navel was more of an thing. 80s yeah. thing yeah, yeah. but the, but that you know they had the strawberry well, strawberry margarita was uh was the thing down at uh in uh yeah. captain jack's by that point so who knows what they were serving so maybe that's not your speed, JT. Maybe seventy-five <laughs> is a little bit. Maybe you want to. Maybe you want to throttle back. It's been a tough year. There's stagflation going on. You want to economize a bit, but you still want to have a nice night out. So you're going to go down to the Ballroom of the Americas. Great Ballroom. venue. We know yeah, it well. Great venue. <laughs> you know, presidents prefer it. 
If ever you've dreamed of New Year's Eve with the excitement of New York's Times Square, you'll want to be at the Ballroom of the Americas. Swing to the big band music of the Ballroom of the Americas Orchestra. Toast away 1979 into 1980 with unlimited complimentary cocktails. Be enchanted with the talented Phyllis Diller and charmed by Bobby Goldsboro, who were on the elevator circuit apparently entertaining in both rooms. I, you know, part of me just wonders, like, we stood on that stage. Is that, does that mean that, like, Phyllis Diller stood on that stage, too? And Yes. That's right. 100%. Wow. I would love to know, like, hey, she stood right here. Who else was on that stage? In the, that's insane. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay. So, so that makes sense, Brian, because I bet when one of them was on at the top of the world, the other one came down Correct. to the show Correct. downstairs. Yeah. Of equal enticement, here comes your prawns, Todd, is an unforgettable feast. Gourmet feast of beef and stuffed prawns. Oh. At midnight, you'll bid fond adieu to 1979 with complimentary champagne, followed in the early morning hours with a sweet repast of crepes, Danish pastries, and coffee. Coats and ties for gentlemen, please. $55 Ooh, per person. I'm paying. I'm going there because all tips and taxes. Those are, those still are 200 not bucks. Any. Those are not any farmed prawns, though. You're getting wild no, gulf shrimp you're, prawns. You're, you're, you're getting, getting the big. Some, those are like U10s. Some, some guy in Hulk Hogan's boat was just fishing them out of the bay that morning. Exactly. Bringing them in. All right. But JT's still balking. 200 bucks. <laughs> the missus and me are not dropping four bills. He wants the Fort Wilderness. He wants the Fort Wilderness option. That's what he's looking that for. That is an option here. The hoop de doo oh, is oh, there the musical go. review. You know, and then this is, goes back to the whole parking thing. Did they do this so people from Fort Wilderness weren't mooching their way into contemporary and, and vice then, versa? Walt used to personally pick you up and drop you <laughs> off right at the door of the Fort Wilderness. I'm back just when saying, like, if, if I'm staying at contemporary, I don't want to go to Polynesian. I want to go to my own resort. Like, is that why they offered specific things for each place? I think that might be part of it. But again, I without interviewing Dick Nunes, I can't find out why they made the decisions they made in 1979. I, I mean... <clears throat> It, I think it does from a, just a convenience factor. You know, if you're staying at a hotel, just like, I'll be great. I'll just go to the one that's at my hotel. Makes, and then you can just stumble back to your room mm-hmm. instead of having to do transportation from, you know. Now, from now my, my last question back. is, it's let's not say. Your last question. No, no, no. For this, like right <laughs> now, before I want to hear Fort Wilderness. Let's say, you know, you're booking a trip in 1979. There's no internet. There's no leaflet. There's no mailers from Disney. Did it just happen to be you'd be there New Year's, then you'd happen to hear about the New Year's thing? Like, or do you think well, people actually it, booked a trip knowing Phyllis Diller's going to be there and all that? And yeah, well, they did advertise the 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 top of the world, you know, headliners and stuff ahead of time. There was there was a like a, but in this case, like clearly, this booklet was sent. This invitation booklet was sent to people who were going to be staying on the property who had booked reservations because, like. I mean, I get last minute reservations, I'm sure happened, but for not for Disney World. I mean, yeah. for Disney World, I would imagine back then it was something you planned months and months ahead of time and we're going to be down there. Yeah, they were, they were booked, you know, a year out. <clears throat> yeah. So, so hope you do musical review Pioneer Hall. If you're fixing for a knee slapping New Year's Eve Wild West style, then join the old fashioned Jubilee at Pioneer Hall. Chow down on fried chicken, barbecued ribs, savory corn on the cob, 
and mom's strawberry shortcake. Nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> in like Is it all you can eat at least? Quench your thirst with bottomless pitchers of sangria or beer. Yeah, this is same. 1979. This meal was literally the same until the pandemic I'll hit. I'll tell you, shut you, the place. Yeah, you want to go retro, just go there. You can have the yeah. same meal from the 70s. And get set for the hand-slapping, foot-stomping, singing and dancing of the hoop dee doo musical review. At midnight, it's time to raise the champagne glasses and give a hoot and holler for a happy new year. Then it's your turn for some fancy footwork from midnight till 2 a.m. Later, settle back for a pioneer breakfast as you savor the last few moments of the good old days, as they surely were meant to be. Casual dress suggested, $30, $30 per person, including all tips and taxes, JT, $30 in 2022 is what? 109 bucks. That's an expensive hoop-de-doo musical review. Now, the only thing I want to know is at midnight to two, because it was so cheap, did you have to move the tables out of the way with the performers or did they do it for you so you could dance? That's the... I, I don't know. I mean, maybe Grab a they... corner, Grandma. We got to slide this table over it, and it's, get this it's shit possible, going. It's possible that what they did back then was take some of the center tables out mm-hmm. to clear out a dance floor and just kind of, you know, had open seating. If you're eating, you're sitting down, but otherwise there was a lot, probably a lot of standing. There was a lot of standing and smoking back then. So people were like up and about. And I wonder if the performers danced from midnight to two or they shut it down. Oh, God knows. God knows. There were, you know, who knows? And was it piano uh, music? You know, the guy with the banjo and the... Yeah. Ragtime piano going on up there. Okay, so what do you do with the kids? Well, there are three options. Parties for juniors, parties for tots, and parties for children. So that was the fifth option of what you would do. Uh, So the party for juniors at the Fiesta Fun Center. It's a magical New Year celebration for children ages 7 to 12. Disney Films, supervised viewing of Disney's Fantasy in the Sky fireworks. Refreshments and party favors, six bucks a kid for the children of resort guests who attend one of the adult parties only. Mm. So you can't just dump your kid there and go to the Magic Kingdom. Parties for tots at the Contemporary and Polynesian Village Resorts. Two big celebrations for children ages two to six. They'll be at both the Contemporary and Polynesian Village Resort hotels. Cartoons, refreshments, and party favors, $5 a child for the children of resort guests who attend one of the adult parties only. Okay. And a party for children at Lake Buena Vista. A lot of fun and games for children ages two and up. Refreshments along with widescreen television and movies, $8 a child. For the children of resort guests who attend one of the adult parties only. Boy, what a pain to go all the way to Lake Buena Vista to drop them off and get them. How do you get them back? Mm-hmm. Well, but there was a party down there too, though. There was oh, the first party was the Lake okay. Buena Vista all Club. Right. So that's right. So it's or or people could have been staying there and uh, been like, I'm going to the Contemporary. I'm gonna dump my kid here in uh, in the sand trap and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> let him let him just open the Yangling tap and and, and have at it. Widescreen uh, television, wow. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, back then, I think they just mean big screen television as much as widescreen. Because, you know, all the big screen televisions were those projectors back then. So. Uh, and a big screen right, right, was right. a big Ter- deal. Terrible pictures, just terrible It was picture. 48 inches. <laughs> Humongous yeah. screen. You know yeah. what, going to a house, it has a big screen? 
People, those guys would always invite people over for the Super Bowl yeah. and stuff, so you could like kind of make Eve. it out on the yeah. on that dull projection TV. Should have stayed home and watched my twenty inch Sony. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll talk about. I'm going to skip unless there's a drop in here before 1988. Todd, how anybody? I'm going to jump to 1988, uh, which would be eight years later, uh, because the Grand Floridian opened that year and. With it, took the status of the new uh, flagship resort from the Contemporary, which had held that title for 15 years. And it opened in 1988 and hosted its first black tie New Year's Eve gala. The Palm Beach Society Orchestra, later known as the Grand Floridian Society Orchestra, Entertain the guests along with Frankie Avalon and the Four Seasons Quartet. If you didn't have the dough to get in there, our old friend, I told you he'd be back, Bob Crosby, the Dixieland band leader from Walt Disney World's New Year's Eve number one in 1971, returned to entertain 1988's park guests at Epcot Center. You know, we're just going to go back there and be like, hey, man, we got Bob Crosby for you again. Let's bring in 1971. Yeah, you remember? He he had some kind of tie-in I remember reading one time. I went down a rabbit hole with him. He used to do a lot of stuff with Disneyland, I think. And Walt Disney World. I can't remember what the connection was, but he was he was a staple. Other than that, those guys seemed to love New Orleans and Dixieland stuff. Like, couldn't get enough of New Orleans and Mardi Gras and Dixieland bands, and like they just they still like lean heavy into it. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think Eisner was at the first uh, black tie at Grand Floridian? You know, that's a good question, and I, I don't know the answer to I that. Think he might it, have been. Maybe somebody listening attended. Uh, you know, that first one, I don't, you know, it's a shame. I don't have the, the amount that they charged for it. Cause I am sure JT would be clutching his pearls right now, uh, at whatever they, at whatever kind of dough they were, they were pulling out of those. What folks. was the last one in 79? 79 the was, we figured out was two two twenty right? two twenty five or something like that for the top of the world. I think you, we came up with. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> Wasn't that where we ended up with that one? Cause that was 75 a person. Yeah. In 1979. So. Yeah, I mean, even if it was 150 bucks in 88. I want to say the last one I read, and I'm just pulling this one. You guys could probably look it up. I want to say New Year's Eve 2019 at the Grand Floridian, there was a like a black tie thing, and it was it was like 500 a person or something like that. It was, you know, and it was gourmet dinner and yeah. everything. But but I, I, I do recall that they were still doing these. Uh, and they did one at uh, California Grill. There was a big expensive one. Uh, before the pandemic. Um, so so that was the first one in 1988. Uh, in between that and the next one we're going to talk about in 1990, which I just have a brief uh, mention here, if you want to know anything about Pleasure Island and the nightly New Year's Eve celebration and the atmosphere and the change that's going to come to the entertainment schedules going forward, 
please go listen to Hal Bauer's trilogy on Pleasure Island. Those were episodes, numbers, whatever. Todd knows them somewhere. We'll, in we'll there. link them here. Yeah, we'll link them in the show notes. But uh, we did. I think it was three episodes, right? On uh, Pleasure Island. Because yeah, how's uh, Jones so, in for the fourth? Yeah, everything yeah. you ever wanted to know about the place. Uh, Disney opened it and did a nightly New Year's celebration. But of course, the actual New Year's Eve uh, was a big deal. There are people there still always, from How's episode. They're still looking for those plaques. They're lost at Disney Springs. Somebody just sent one to us this week. Yeah. In 1990, if you were at Pleasure Island, uh, you could be entertained by the likes of the village people doing Macho Man and YMCA and in the Navy. And Devo. Whip it. They're from Akron. Yeah, whip it. Try to detect it. It's not too late to whip it. Whip it good. When a good time turns around. Uh, but whip it was uh, earlier in the 80s, wasn't it? it was, uh, yeah, what what year was, was this one? 1990. Oh, 1990. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure Island. So They still wore the, uh, the little buckets on the head. You know, they, they leaned heavy in because Pleasure Island gave them all of those venues. You know, you not only had the, the the beach stage that was outdoors, but then you had each of the clubs. So you could bring in what they would do is where, you know, most nights it was like Johnny and the Rum Runners, this like Orlando local band or some, you know, some somebody that was just like a <laughs> professional, uh, you know, p- bar entertainer that they would bring into to a lot of these different venues down there. Uh they always leaned heavy on Pleasure Island into big names. They would bring in big names for New Year's Eve. Uh, so 1992, let's talk about this amazing lineup of entertainment. The Disney MGM Studios, and I believe we have video of this one. Fe- no, not this one. Features 30 years of rock and roll with Mitch Ryder. Al Wilson. Otis Day and the Knights. <laughs> wait till Otis sees us. He loved us. <laughs> Pat Upton. Jewel Akins. Let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above. Everything all yeah. Mickey Dolans. Donnie Brooks. My love is higher than a mission well. Deeper than a wishing well. Stronger than a magic spell. My love for you. Flash Cadillac. Let 
And Cannibal and the Headhunters. This is all at Disney MGM Studios. I got to tell you, man, Disney MGM Studios is rocking it here for us on New Year's Eve. And Epcot's countering with Cool in the Gang. Pleasure Island. So maybe what we should do is try to match them up with their locations. Right, said Fred. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. Uh, Kenny Loggins wow. appeared at Pleasure Island. So I'm Ooh. guessing Planet Kenny, Kenny Loggins was on the beach stage, the big stage. I'll bet you a million guessing. bucks he played Footloose. The Artie Shaw Orchestra. Singer comedian Weird Al Yankovic. Really? Okay. Spyro Gyra. What was their hit? Remind me how. They were a big jazz group. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if they really I, had I a... I say they charted, though, because I, I, I don't know why I know them. Uh, other than I mean, being they very would, much alive then. Yeah, I mean, they were probably the most famous of the jazz fusion okay. groups in the in the late 1970s. So if you knew any jazz fusion group, it, it would have been them. Um, let me see if I can find a song that, like, uh, yeah. uh, let's see. In, in the interim, I, where you would have found me, was listening to Sheena Easton uh, performing there in Pleasure Island that night, singing... For Your Eyes Only, and Strut. I saw Sheena, I saw Sheena Easton at the, uh, in the lounge at uh, Las Vegas Hilton about 15. So what about, you know, 9 to 5, nine, the uh, morning train? Uh, morning yeah, train my baby takes the morning train. But the one I'm thinking yeah. is, oh, Almost Over You is the one I was, Almost oh, okay. Over You. Do you think she was doing the Sugar Walls and the Prince songs? Then? I don't know what she was doing then, but Sheena Easton <laughs> was there. The Fabulous Thunderbirds were there. All right, the tough sp- enough. The, big song. the Spinners. And country music artist Dave Durham. Um, I don't know enough about early 90s country to tell you what what Dave Durham's claim to fame was, but clearly you could have gone and heard him at the Armadillo Saloon. I killed the mailbox when I read your letter. I cussed it and I beat it to death. That's 1992. 1994, 
We've got a lineup from that night, too. Disney World, the New Year's Eve entertainment includes uh, Buster Poindexter. Of course. Buster Poindexter singing Hot, Hot, Hot. Yeah, yeah and, that's... <laughs> and nothing else. Wait, what we else? have did that on. Do, did he do anything else? Uh, he, uh, he did have... I think he had one other, like, that he... I mean, he was a... I mean, D- David Johansson was right. his real name. Yeah. He was in the New York Dolls. He had a ton... I mean, he did a ton of stuff, but that that was, I think, the only thing he ever had that really hit like, top Like, made him money, yeah. Yeah, and even I just recently read an interview with him where he's like he regrets ever doing that because that was the one thing he became famous for right. out of all the things he had ever done. It well, like, Fleetwood uh, Mac was there. To uh, on one of their many reunions. So they in 1994 they they were playing in Walt Disney World. Peebo Bryson. Who was probably contractually obligated after oh, making all that money on the Beauty yeah. and the Beast song that he probably had to be there, and the Marshall Tucker Band all at Pleasure Island. Can't you see? Over at Disney MGM, Flash Cadillac was playing. When I saw her standing there, I had to pick her up, I couldn't pay it. Cause I knew I had to make her mine. Uh, this is the one that Todd has video of, The Turtles. So very fine, so happy I mentioned to him today that the Turtles are like, hey, a video of that. He's got a video of a sign showing the Turtles uh, were playing there that night. And here's the quote. Mike Harvey's Super Gold New Year's Eve. I'm Mike Harvey, and when our countdown continues with the top 40 hits of the rock and roll era, we'll relive the biggest dance craze to hit America. We're going to be twisting the night away this New Year's Eve. Is this like Dick Clark's yes, stepbrother? Yes, I remember. I remember they did this a few times, and so I, I went to some of the New Year's Eve things at the Magic Kingdom in the 90s, so I, I definitely did 93. I don't remember if I did, it doesn't sound like I did 94 based on the lineup, but yes, they did like a top 10, or a top 40 style show counting back, I think, the top 40 or top 100 songs of the year, yeah. live from the Magic Kingdom, and then um, they played it over this over the speakers there, so you could hear it as they're doing it. And it was a live broadcast that was carried on some you know satellite network nationwide. Well, if Disney MGM and Pleasure Island didn't tickle your fancy, you could go listen to Papa Do Run Run. Magic Kingdom. Again, I will plead ignorance. 
1994. I'm not sure where I was, but I'm not familiar with Papa Do Run Run. Can I, somebody help I, me out I, there? I know that band was always around. Um, they, I guess they okay. They, it says they covered uh, lots a, of Beach Boys and Frankie Valli and 60s surfer music. Okay, uh, so they were like a like the up here with the Flaming Caucasians, like a famous cover band that uh, runs around, and there's a couple of others up here. Yeah, it'd be like Sha Na Na or something. I got it. You, I got it. You're like, like okay, like, you want a band that does yeah, the, 50s great? You get Sha Na Na. The good stage does... presence and right. like, gets the crowd into it and all. So, I have uh, I have a couple of notes here. We're going to jump a few years ahead, unless somebody's got something to jump in. I uh, twenty five years. We look back twenty five years. So the last year we would be looking back at is New Year's Eve nineteen ninety seven, going into nineteen ninety eight. This would be with a pink birthday cake castle in its final month of of appearance there at the just at the tail end of the twenty fifth anniversary. Um, I will say I do remember doing a mid '90s New Year's Eve at MGM. Okay, and it was actually wonderful. Um, I'll have to see if I can figure out when it when it was. But you got to do the. Um, it was when the lights uh, they had just bought the uh, lights from that the Osborne family. Okay, correct. So it was all over New York Street, and it wasn't on New York. Well, it was partially New York Street, but it was on like the Golden Girls House and all the houses on the residential street. The world's so largest got- residential holiday lights display, featuring more than three million light bulbs arranged in a one of a kind uh, Wonderland setting. And right, they did town. They did the town square setting and the residential street and i believe by the time it was done it was five million lights so it was really neat to be able to walk down that street yeah and up close and not be on a tram and and see that it was wonderful i I remember that from the late 90s as well we were there christmas of 98 or 99 like not christmas christmas but during the christmas season and that was my first holiday season trip and i remember that being a cool thing because you weren't allowed to walk back there during the day yeah. Um, so let's see. So it was that. I remember Eddie Money was playing on New York Street. And then um, Lauren Hill from the Fugees yeah. was the headliner that played uh, in front of um, the Grumman's Chinese theater. Okay. And her opening act was Michael Winslow from the, uh, uh, from police Academy. Police Academy. Yes. Uh-huh. Making sound effects. All right. <laughs> Making sound effects and some, and some jokes. Shit. You know, the bleeps, Sweeps and the creeps. That's not all he's lost. We talked about this in a prior episode, or maybe I'm confusing it with Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, but it was not uncommon for comedians to open for rock band and musician acts. Like they would travel the country. A guy named uh, Jackie Kahane used to travel with uh, with Frank Sinatra for years and do it was like do the opening you know do the opening he'd go out and uh i think it was yeah yeah go out for like 25 minutes to do like you know i just flew in from new jersey boy are my arms tired you know like you know they would do their they would do like the 20 minute act 
And I think, ladies and gentlemen, Frank Sinatra. You know, like, <laughs> anywho. Uh, actually, Jackie Kane used to do it for Elvis. That's what I'm thinking of. He used to do it for Elvis. Um, so, ninth, so the end of, uh, you know, 25 years ago, ha- half a century into Walt Disney World. New Year's Eve at Pleasure Island. Name talent performances. That's all they say here because this is a this is a brief thing on three stages, incredible buffets, awesome fireworks, and confetti at midnight. And I actually forgot that they used to do that. They would, in addition to the fireworks, they would do the confetti streams at midnight and, and at uh, at Pleasure Island. And so then they'd have to vacuum up all that stuff with their vacuum sucks. Uh, Disney MGM Studios, Hollywood style, New Year's Eve. Blast into 98 with a rock and roll concert experience, stand-up comedians performing live on stage, and fantastic fireworks. And for those who don't remember, they did the Symphony in the Stars fireworks at at Disney MGM Studios. Fantasy in the Sky was uh, Magic Kingdom and Disneyland. And then, and here's a little touch on Epcot. And I don't know, somebody's going to write in and tell us because somebody knows when the Epcot, I mean, the New Year's Eve described here is New Year's Eve now at Epcot. It says, celebrate the new year on 11, in 11 different countries. Join the excitement of rock and roll, a high-tech disco party, Jamaican reggae, the Bob Davis Orchestra, and our very own British Invasion, plus a special edition of Eliminations. So th- the big thing now, with, like like New Year's, or Epcot is New Year's Central now, because you walk around World Showcase and each country has its different kind of setup, and it is totally unlike whatever you see the other 364 days a year at Epcot. So there's like techno silent disco going on one place and like a heavy metal band in one country. And it's, it's always a, this, this really very, I remember when I was there a few years ago, uh, there was a DJ booth, a temporary DJ booth set up outside of um, between where Mouse Gears is and uh, Mission Space, like in that area there. Literally a DJ set up with like, you know, lights on the, on the poles and all, and like to set that up as like a dance party area. Like <laughs> it's just, uh, so I'm not sure when Epcot developed into that. Clearly it was sometime in the nineties. Cause here by 1998, uh, it, it has become what it is now, uh, which is very much a place that locals and cast members go for their new year's Eve party. Um, so I just found that interesting. I, I don't know when it started. Howard, you you spent a lot of time there in the earlier nineties. Any? Yeah, yeah. I don't. To be honest, I'm trying to remember. So I want to. I remember Epcot being an option during the early to mid nineties, but I, you know, it was never the most attractive for us. It was always the Magic Kingdom was right. the best place to go. Um, because yeah, the options were not right. You know, Epcot's always <laughs> traditionally has been a park. For the older, slower crowd. Right. So, um, you know, the Magic Kingdom would be jam-packed with like 90 to 100,000 people on a New Year's Eve. In the early 90s, they would have to shut off uh, guest entry for an hour or two and let some people filter out before they would let, let the next batch in. So, I mean, I, I would have to show up there by, say, like 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock driving over from Sarasota or St. Petersburg. Um, otherwise, you might be shut out until like 7 or 8. So uh, it was 
So yeah, I'm not sure when Epcot finally kind of took off. There, uh, and it got light. Probably, probably as that shift happened, you know, we're at we're going to the world. The world showcase was more popular. You know, probably the Millennium Celebration. I think was probably I, that's the my guess that, as well. Is yeah. when it really kind of developed into what it is today. Um, there's one other note about this. Looking back as far as we look back on this program, 25 years of that 1997 going into 1998 New Year's. That evening's New Year's Eve party and midnight fireworks display over Sleeping Beauty Castle were broadcast live from Disneyland as part of Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve on ABC TV, which Disney had purchased a few years earlier. So uh, it would have been nine o'clock in Disneyland when they when they lit those fireworks off. Uh, and for a long time on a lot of these notes, uh, it actually has the fireworks going off at 10 or 11 and not at midnight. <laughs> so um, I don't know if they changed those schedules for New Year's or not, but like like I have those holiday brochures, those pamphlets they would hand out with like everything where they're doing over the holidays. And um, they don't note fireworks at midnight, although I'm operating under the assumption that there were because of that one fellow who shared the pictures with us from 71. So that is a glimpse at some of what was offered the first 25 New Year's. So which party do you guys want to go to? The one with shrimp. <laughs> well, shrimp, I, is a, I, shrimp is a must. Depends on the year, I'd say, and how yeah. old I was at the time. I mean, that's the... I'd love to see the hoop de do from midnight to two, but I'd also like to, you know, see a, a Ballroom of the Americas. I think that'd be cool. It's it's today, JT. It's you and your family or whoever you choose to go to the party. Which one do you want to see this this year? If you could do it this year with that the past lineups, which one would you do? Um, I'd say probably Magic Kingdom. One of those, just cause stuff to do. I don't I don't really care for the old uh, the old acts. <laughs> see, I'm going I'm going for the old acts. Yeah, and absolutely, I'm going for the classy dinner. Yep, yep. I want to wear my tux or my white dinner idea. jacket. JT, I have one for you, though, that you might enjoy this. Epcot 93 was called Explode into 93. Sure. That sounds extreme. Like explosion. <laughs> explosion every day. So Tell we you. have a whole video of that we're going to eventually get up there, too. So. Super colon blow 93. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> uh. So did it, did it have any other than myself? Has any of you gone? Have you been there at the Magic Kingdom for New Year's Eve? Twice, <clears throat> twice. I did Epcot um, once. I did uh, Epcot the first time, and I'm going back within the last five years. That was my first experience after hearing about it. I one year right after Christmas, I, I went down and just to see it Christmas week, and it it, it was a scene. Uh, and I remember I had, I know I had at least one person with me on that trip and I, I don't remember a lot of details about it except the crowds and being completely like sensory overload in Epcot. I mean, cause it was not only something different in each country that was totally, uh, discon, I, I don't want to say disconcerting. It's uh disorienting cause it's not what you're used to seeing. Uh, but the crowds are massive, you know, cause Epcot is a park they can just con- continue to pack people into. Cause it's enormous. Uh, so they can just keep letting people in and, uh, and they all tend to gravitate into world showcase. Uh, so even though you're taking the full park capacity, most of the people are all in world showcase and surrounding world showcase. 
We were there uh, in 07, and it was similar, just packed. Yeah, packed. yeah. Um, so I remember there being a whole thing about getting out of there, and I, 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 well, maybe I stayed, maybe I was staying at the Swan or Dolphin or something like that on that trip, so that I didn't have to actually, because the big thing with Epcot New Year's Eve is then getting out of there when it's over. Because you then have like a hundred thousand people all going to the parking lot, like eighty thousand of them are locals uh, who drove there, and you know, you know I had friends that would go, and there would be literally like an hour and a half line to get out <laughs> to get out of Epcot. Uh, uh, the best uh, to, example that we saw yeah. was you know you know the monorail. You walk up to the monorail at Epcot. It's you know I don't know how wide, fifty feet wide, the whole right. way up sardine can the whole ramp like every turn i mean every exit was filled to the brim so my second time there uh i and and in both visits by the way i watched they do the fireworks at seven and midnight seven ostensibly for the families so that they can all see it with the kids have their happy new year and have them back in their hotel and in bed at nine or ten o'clock at night uh so i did that uh and I I know I think I stayed the first time. The second time I was by myself, but I had a lot of friends there. So I met up with some friends uh, where they were setting up right after the seven o'clock fireworks to photograph the midnight fireworks uh, in that area between the two stores, right as you come into World Showcase. Um, and as one staked out the spot, I walked the park with the others, and and we got a little something to eat and. I did one loop around World Showcase. I then, uh, I want to say the Skyliner was running by then. So I took the Skyliner over to Disney MGM Studios. Somebody was with me because I remember I walked Disney MGM Studios to check it out. I got something to eat on Sunset Boulevard and the Fairfax Fair. And then it was about 11 o'clock and I said, all right, I'm going back to my hotel now. (laughs) and i remember and i remember getting to uh i want to you know what i remember the first time i was at pop century and i was at my hotel at 10 minutes to midnight and watched the fireworks go off from the balcony of my motel room there at pop century the second time i was staying at uh a, a, a place down near SeaWorld, and again by about 11 o'clock i Got back to my car and hightailed it out of there and had enough. So it was not that different from a, from a New Year's here. I decided in both cases to avoid the the midnight crush. Yeah. It, it, it We got into the park at Epcot. I mean, we got there early because we knew it would close to capacity. And by about 11, 12 o'clock, they were pretty much like not letting people in. And I remember it was so busy. We had nowhere, everywhere to buy drinks if you want to drink in New Year's was like, you know, 20 deep. We found that the right. cafeteria in the land pavilion had no lines to buy beer in. So we ended up in there buying beer for uh, New Year's. And uh, the living with the land ride wasn't that busy. So we rode that a couple times just as something to do. That first trip I also remember was the first time I was ever rooted backstage. Oh, yeah. Um, so they were because they would root you backstage to avoid crowds coming out of certain places. So this was the the shortcut behind uh, the land or uh, the imagination pavilion yeah to get us into some point at world showcase I don't remember where but instead of sending you that way they direct they direct pop you. out about UK or so right yeah they behind the behind imagination and and mm-hmm. uh, that 
was an interesting experience. I mean, I, you know, cause it had, I just never been back there before. So I thought that that was, that was, you know, a neat thing, but yeah, those are my, those are my memories. I mean, fun. I mean, it was just fun. They hand out hats and noisemakers, which they didn't do this year. And some people complained about because it had been something they'd been doing for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the thing is they would That's start surprising. handing them out late afternoon for all of those seven o'clock fireworks families. So like by four o'clock, they'd start handing them out. Well, I got to tell you, if you spend any time in Epcot, all you heard from <laughs> like four o'clock on was... Bah, bah, it's like, like the Vavuzela from... Uh, yes. <laughs> from the World Cup. The World Cup. Yep. In these, those hats. Guys, Everybody's wearing a black hat. Gotta wear that. Yeah, everybody had the New Year's hats on, but the big thing was the horns. And people would just... From four o'clock on, the poor birds... That live in Epcot, where they, you know, just some, it's those woodpeckers blowing those. Yeah, blow. they're they're in the park. <laughs> oh, like they right. they eat but, for free. They can deal with it for one. Yeah, yeah they so, eat right out of a pigment cop, popcorn bucket. They're lucky. So recently, the hats were black. Um, I thought they were black when I was there. You know, those New Year's top hat looking yeah. things or whatever. They yeah, had. were they were they because were they made out of paper? Like, what were they made they're out of? Like, plastic. Plastic. I, were they play? I thought they were paper hats. My I, my recollection is paper hats, but they could be plastic. They were like a glossy so, plastic. So in the nineties, they were white, like can with like confetti paper like mixed into it, and it's it's like they sandwiched it between pieces of clear plastic and then like pushed it like almost vacuum formed it into a hat. Into a hat shape. I I, I almost and, feel like this is the point where you're going to turn around and dig into a drawer. I'm like, oh, I have seven of them here. No, uh, I did, I didn't. I didn't keep any of them. But it's the one thing that like they did give out the noisemakers too. And even back then, you're right. I was mad. But people would take the hats and they would throw them off the rides of the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, and so like the floor, like you'd be on Peter Pan's flight, and like London was like littered with. <laughs> The New Year's Eve hat. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> well, so. I think, Brian, I appreciate you putting this all together. I think there's only one thing we can say. The flames of love extinguished and fully passed and gone. Is thy sweetheart now grown so cold, that loving breast of thine, that thou canst never once reflect on old Lang Syne? Oh, how that's so, or Todd, that's so nice. Well, you know, I, you know. I'd put a little... Little poetry. What I in there. what I would have Robert to say Burns. now is the only thing to say now is breakfast is served. It's time to make That's breakfast, right? right? <laughs> like we've celebrated New Year's. How's got a wake up drink to to get you up off the floor? <laughs> so. I, well, That's true. I wonder if they actually cut service off, like at a certain point at those. Things, you know, if it was like twelve thirty or something, mm-hmm. we actually, oh yeah, it's included. But once breakfast is out, you can just get coffee and orange juice and. I'm, I'm betting once they handed out that sh- complimentary champagne glass, the bar was closed. That could be, you know. I think that's usually what they do is like they close up the bar, then they bring out the champagne and use the bar area to like stage it so they can hand it out to everyone, and then boop, that's it, it's done. Then it's time for the and you can have orange juice, you can keep and dancing, coffee. and you know have a little, you know, a little sanka and some uh, and some scrambled eggs and or a pastry. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I, I have a vivid recollection of the first time my dad told me that, oh, yeah, they wheeled out breakfast at 1230. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, they put out like a little breakfast spread. And it was like, that I was wish a, they did that. Yeah, it was a very common Gosh, thing. That's like that. a thing we should bring back, right? Like I was at a yeah. wedding not long ago uh, where there was a 
like an 11, 10 or 11 p.m. course after like a few hours after we'd eaten dinner. They rolled out like small bites and stuff and it was awesome like <laughs> i mean if you have if you have a lot of people drinking which i assume you did if you've got an open well bar back then it was assumed like it wasn't everybody yeah. like i mean I'd, it kind of tailed off through the 80s like with the whole drunk driving thing and all that. right but, but <clears throat> like up until then it was like a national pastime was from yeah, the time prohibition like, ended until, <laughs> until until drunk driving in the eighties, like it was like everybody's yeah, let's just drink all the time. I mean, that's the Mad like, Men effect, right? I I couldn't have I couldn't have loved anything more than after a night of of drinking and suddenly having like a full breakfast there to like eat up the alcohol yeah. and like get you back on your feet and starting to feel good again. That's fantastic. That was one of my dad's old jokes. He's like, yeah, we go out, we'd be out, you know, drinking all afternoon and night. We'd stop at a diner at 2 a.m. and have, you know, eggs and bacon. And as I'd come home, I'd throw up and go, oh, it must have been the eggs. You know, <laughs> not, not the seven hours of drinking they all just did. It's like, it must have been the eggs. Well, as we move on here, gentlemen, it is time to maybe remind those listeners out there who may not know about Retro Magic. We've got our big event coming up in April 2022. And we are just about at the 90-day mark. Uh, so the whole team here is actively putting things together. I'm happy to report that all the flights have been booked. We've got one more to book. Just waiting for some from di- uh, from some final days on that. I haven't, I haven't booked mine yet, but I'm oh, okay. well, prices right. to well, come down. VIPs have been booked. Let's put it that way. All right. The VIPs are booked. We've got one more to I'm book. I'm not a VIP, folks. We've got hotels booked. Everybody's excited about it. And now we're starting to work on fine-tuning the itinerary. And before you know it, we'll be talking about menu items and uh, AV equipment and all that. But uh, just as a reminder, if you'd love, like to come and... Uh, visit us at retro magic on the weekend of april 23rd uh, 2022 we've got the fantasia ballroom down at the bottom of uh, contemporary resort reserved for us as well as some side rooms and we're going to be looking forward to a fantastic weekend of vips uh, we've got all sorts of of oh my gosh brian where do we where do we start i mean it's we've got bringing a bunch of people who've never done anything like this before exactly done a fan event before i've never really been interviewed about seminal work that they've done for the walt disney corporation before uh for the parks and things that you love in the parks it's going to be you know we're trying to top what we did last time and last time was a four-star event so we're gonna have to turn this one up to 11 there we go we're gonna do it so check out retromagic.org uh make your donation for your ticket and uh we hope to see you there and as we know i mean our ticket's 125 dollars. it's a lot less than new year's eve that's true at most walt of- disney world back in the 70s <laughs> and it's and a 80s, full so. eight hour event <laughs> yeah we get you get a meal you're not yeah. going to get a breakfast afterwards but you're going to get a meal right and uh, you know it's a lot, lot more. We're, we're we're bringing a lot more to the show, and we could still book Bobby Goldsboro. He's still alive. There we go. We could bring him. So in. maybe we'll just have him come in, and like we'll wheel him out. And be, I don't know. I think he was a comedian. I don't know what he did. But boy, we've got music, but, we've got food, we've got all sorts of things to talk about. Phyllis so. Diller can't make it, but That's Bobby right. Goldsboro yeah. can yeah. probably get some Dixieland jazz. Still. I, I yeah, that. That's but still not, uh, not 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 uh, uh, what's his name. <laughs> Bob Crosby, he's he can't make it. He's that's right. He's not coming down for breakfast. But uh, Bobby Goldsboro is only eighty-one yeah. years old. We can get him there. There we go. We'll go. He could come there and sing "Honey," and uh, he had a UK top ten hit with "Summer." So, 
you go fire those up That's on right. your old uh, Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple Music, whatever you have, listen to them, and uh, I'm sure it would cost us hundreds of dollars to book them. That's right. So. Well, again, thanks to all of our listeners. And gentlemen, thank you for uh, putting this together, Brian, and everybody chiming in this evening. Um, look for us next month. We'll uh, be heading back, hopefully, to an attraction in Walt Disney World uh, in episode 44. We are going to have one of our guests, uh, who is an actual real-life doctor, is going to be helping us do the wonders of life. Oh, fantastic. And, and give us some uh, some insight. One of our, one of our listener donors... Uh, ponied up, I think, the $500 donation. So he's going to be sitting in with us, and and we're going to separate a little fact from fiction. Oh, wow. uh, And do, like, what was real in Wonders of Life and and what wasn't real. So, like, we're going to find out if if they could actually pull off Body Wars, if that was accurate or not, as well as the making of me and all the other great attractions in Wonders of Life. Maybe we can get Martin Short to come in and talk about his inner space, too, and see if it it all lines up. So. Maybe awesome. I, I want to find out all all the details about his his parents' love making <laughs> right. that produced it. Oh, we'll end it there, everybody. <laughs> so we'll see you next month for a little uh, wonders of life. With that said, thank you very much. If you can give us a shout out and a review on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcasting app is. If you have any questions, as JT said earlier, you can email them to podcast at retrowdw.com. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next month. With that, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at retrowdw. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at wdwms, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at goawaygreen. JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt, 501c3 organization and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. 